The pen is mightier than the sword, but a fighter plane holds its own. This is an interview featuring Erin Edwards. Dive into it because she's a former Navy pilot turned Stanford journalism candidate. Erin shares her experience navigating male-dominated spaces, the adversities she endured, and how her sports mindset helped her overcome obstacles. She discusses identity loss during her military transition using humor as a coping tool and the power of a supportive women's tribe. Here, Erin's remarkable tale of resilience and adaptivity in this interview. Don't forget to like, share, and subscribe for more content like this. Welcome to the Wellness Driven Life Show, where you're about to go on a wellness-driven ride. Ever heard of Stoicism? Chances are, if you have, you've heard of Stoicism with a lowercase s and not Stoicism with an uppercase s. Lone wolves, no emotions, antisocial behavior, cold, indifference, all that is Stoicism with a lowercase s. Stoicism with an uppercase s is the ancient Greek philosophy and virtue ethics framework that centers on service to the cosmopolis, to include your family, friends, community, and planet, and the development of a good moral character. My name is Tanner Campbell, and I'm the host of Practical Stoicism, a three times a week podcast teaching Stoic principles and concepts to anyone interested through the exploration of texts and deep dives into various moral topics. You can find Practical Stoicism where you're already listening to podcasts by searching for Practical Stoicism or by going to stoicismpod.com. I invite you to give it a listen today. You just might like it. Let me introduce today's guest to you. Aaron Edwards, a Navy a Naval aviator, excuse me, commissioned in 2012, led an impressive military career, serving as a helicopter aircraft commander and instructor pilot with 2,000 flight hours. She transitioned from active duty to journalism, writing for Comic Book Curious and acting as COO. Currently, she's pursuing her MA in journalism at Stanford University, focusing on women's representation in male-dominated fields. Recognized by the Pat Tillman Foundation as a 2023 Tillman Scholar, Erin lives a minimalist lifestyle on a yacht with her husband, Alex, another Navy veteran. I'm so pleased to welcome Miss Erin Edwards. Hi, thank you so much. I am uh, super excited to be with you. It's my pleasure. I am super excited to share 
your journey. You've got so many passions. You've got this rich background with so many lessons, and I'm excited to dive in. So let's start by sharing with the audience a little bit more about you. All right. Um, so I, I grew up in uh, the suburbs of Philadelphia, and I played basketball my whole life, but basketball as a child was everything. Um, and, and so when I say that, I don't say it lightly. Um, I played with really amazing players and by the age of 16, I was a three-time national champion and, um, we had wow. made moves. I have to just say, wow, for just a second, cause that's impressive. <laughs> it was a lot. And it started to really become a job. Um, mm. and that's a really unique childhood that I didn't fully understand until I, until I started talking to people who had a more normal childhood. Um, and, and then I kind of realized, oh, there, there was a lot of pressure, a lot of expectations, but a lot of fun that goes into winning and winning on that scale. Um, but that was kind of my very beginning stepping stone. And, and then from there, I went to an all girls high school and, uh, being surrounded by all women gave me a ton of freedom um, to kind of pursue different avenues. I didn't, I just didn't want to be defined as solely a basketball player. And so I became student council president. I played two different sports that I had never played before. Um, and I just felt that that space was really welcoming for that. And that allowed me to really branch out in different friend groups. And so from there, I uh, was recruited to play basketball at the United States Naval Academy. And that opportunity just seemed like one I couldn't pass up. Um, and so going to the Naval Academy, I was in a class of 20% women and 80% men, which is quite the 180 to come from an all girls Catholic high school. And, and I think that maybe other women would have had a different experience than I did, but because I was surrounded by these really strong, intelligent, powerful women on the basketball court every single day, I, um, I just felt that I was constantly surrounded by this tribe of women. And, and I was in this pool of, of fraternity um, in reality. And so it wasn't until I went to class that I realized I'm not quite the same as everyone else. Um, <laughs> yeah. and, and then after that, I, at the Naval Academy, you get introduced to your different opportunities for where you can commission and what jobs you can pursue. And I uh, flew one summer with a female pilot and she was doing loops and barrel rolls and just said to me, you have the stick, you've got controls and let me do them. And that was so impactful 
mm. for me that I I just had to choose aviation um, and and kind of follow in this stranger's footsteps. But the power of seeing someone who looks like you doing something you maybe didn't think possible um, is is really strong. So so then I, I selected naval aviation, became um, a member of six percent of uh, women in that community. And so I sort of plunged even deeper into a fraternity. And, and so there's lots to discuss um, in that arena and how women have to navigate uh, a field like that. Um, yeah. Well, you've had this wide range uh, of ideas of what it's like to be fully with women and fully surrounded by men and the difference in those cultures. I mean, even the difference in cultures with women being all together instead of a mixed, there is a difference in how you show up in how the, the whole body reacts to things and engages with each other. So you definitely have a great background with that. In the beginning, I was like, oh, well, being so athletic really gives you this incredible push. And like you said, a, a stepping stone to something like military, where you have the structure for, you have the guidance for, you know what teammanship is, and all of those things are really great aspects to have in that setting. Yeah, absolutely. I, um, I think basically I started to treat everything that I did in naval aviation as a basketball game. And it's really just because I had gathered all of these tools um, from honestly learning to fail. That is mm -hmm. one of the greatest gifts that athletics gives you. And when you're in a game, you're, you're failing hundreds of times throughout that game. You will never play perfectly. And, and so I, I knew the tools to just move on to the next play. Just wipe it off. There's nothing you can do. The clock is still running. And you mm -hmm. want to win the game. Move on to the next play. Um, and so that was really important on my journey through aviation. I love that. I, I want to highlight those things too, because they are very good lessons. And you mentioned perfection that like, there's, there's no such thing as a, as a perfect, or maybe there is, but if you have it in your mind to strive to that, it's not going to happen. You have to keep going. And so I love that you considered that and that you had that mindset. Yeah, I, um, I actually, I, I not only had that mindset, but there were times when I realized that I physically would change my body language back to being a basketball player. <laughs> and um, one- What do you mean if, by that? I got it. You, I got to have you enlighten us on what that looked like for you. Um, absolutely. So one uh, time in particular, I, and this was a really big failure huge um i had failed a check ride and a check ride is mm. a flight that's it, it's basically a final examination and yeah. so it, you have to pass it to become qualified in the aircraft 
And, um, and so that week prior, we had a, a new commanding officer and he had changed the rules. Um, typically, if you fail that flight, you get another kind of a redo um, and then you get to take it again. And so it's a process. But the rule had just changed so that you immediately go to a single flight with the commanding officer and he decides whether you stay in naval aviation or you leave. Oh, um, the pressure's on. Yeah. And I was oh. the first because, of course, it just happened a week prior. So naturally, um, that's kind of I, I feels like it would be my path. Um, but. I, as soon as I failed the flight, so I knew that was what was coming and I started to get emotional and I realized if this were a basketball game and this is the fourth quarter and I'm down by two, um, I'm the point guard. I can't just sit here and cry in the bathroom. Like the, the game is still going. It the is game not is over. still going, yeah. And I want to win. So I... Um, I, I immediately, in the bathroom, I sort of slapped myself in the face and marched to my commanding officer's um, office and just invited myself in and sort of sat down and sat like physically in a way that I was in a game, just ready to go. <laughs> what do you, what is the gameplay for tomorrow? Like, what's, what are we going to do and how are we going to win? Um, and I don't think he expected that, uh, at all. Typically you just sort of wait for the flight schedule to come out the next day and then you fly your event. But, um, you have to sort of, if, if you're of the mindset of this is a basketball game, you, you want the ball, you know, you can't be a, a point guard or a leader on the court and, be down by two with a minute left and think, oh gosh, I hope this play is not for me. You have to go into it thinking, give me the ball. Hmm. I love that. I love that you say the game isn't over and really life lesson, right? It's not ever over because the game of life, but the fact that you just treated it like a game, marched right into the office, that takes boldness. And I get that too, not coming from the same field, but a law enforcement background, you know, marching into your command staff's office is something that better be really important, right? And hopefully they have listening ears because it is tough. And I also understand that pass fail, man. It is, it is rough and tough, but I love how you go in with you you are going to fail and you expect it. And so now what? What are you going to do about it, right? Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah, there, um, you know, and it carries over into so many other things um, that you, you're basically building this toolkit and you can just keep taking from it and then replacing things that don't serve you. And every failure is a new lesson and a new potential tool that you put back into that box and you move forward onto the next thing. And 
So, I mean, I would say that genuinely basketball and the, the struggles of naval aviation and my path to become a pilot um, have kind of given me the confidence to even allow me to pursue something totally different at this point. Yeah, absolutely. Well, it, the, the sky's the limit when you have that sort of mindset where I'm going to fail. And because of that, I really, the options are uh, limitless. And I'm going to bring in one of our comments. Manly says, I like that you took what skills you already had developed basketball and applied them to your current situation. And that's exactly the topic that we're discussing right now is that you can continue to apply yourself in anything that is your heart's desire. Yeah. And, and I think that they're especially transitioning from the military. Um, there's a big fear. There's a big fear to leave that organization. And, um, and especially if you're, career starts to define you mm. and and then you if you can't rely on these lessons that you've learned and these failures and this all of this preparation to that point then it makes it a lot more daunting to seek a totally new path yeah Aaron I would love to talk a little bit more about that because I think that that is such a big issue for so many people that you know, military, primarily first responders, any of those higher end fields where you have this, I mean, you work very, very hard to get into the position initially you train. And so there's that physical aspect of it. There's a dominance about it. There's a I have to push myself as a woman, as a female, in order to be seen, in order, because we are built differently, right? And we're, we're structured differently. We think differently. And there's nothing wrong with that, but it is different. And so what does that look like when you're in it? And so when we transition out of those fields, those career fields, and you go back to uh, civilian life, there, there is such a, an extreme difference in what that looks like. And, um, I don't think that there's a whole lot of other positions or fields that really match that. I know that when I exited out of law enforcement, I went into uh, a boots on the ground sort of position where I was being very physically active with my body. And so that was very helpful for me because mm -hmm. I busied myself in a lot of different ways, mentally, physically. And so it was a little easier. But let's talk about that transition and what that's like and how it fits into an identity crisis. Yeah, um, I think especially the military and and even for you in the law enforcement, sometimes we are seen as heroes and we're stamped with um, at, with just a certain appeal, I guess, to the position. So, so specifically Navy pilot, um, and this didn't really dawn on me until someone said this to me not that long ago, but just, you you were this thing you were this revered navy pilot top gun thing you know that's the the image and and then 
you went and and I started writing for a comic book website. Like $30 an article from, you know, basically a closet uh, in San Diego. And, and that would be, I think, to most, a huge identity crisis of what really, what am I doing? Um, mm. Mm. But to me, it was so exciting. I, and it was just, something totally new and different and i i hadn't even read a comic book before that um i knew nothing about anyone who was a comic nerd i find that fascinating (laughs) yeah nothing and i i remember going to my first interview and i interviewed mark irwin mark irwin is now the vice president of mad cave studios um he's publishing all of these books and he's doing this amazing work, but he was an inker for X-Men, for Green Lantern, for Batman, you know, things that even I know, and I don't know anything about comics. Um, And I didn't have a clue. I never interviewed anyone before. So I had no idea what I was doing, but I knew I was in front of someone important in this comic world. And (laughs) I, I interviewed him. We talked in a coffee shop for two hours. Wow. Now, two hours of a recording on a phone, all of the editing that needs to go into that, finding what what's the real story within that, all of these things I didn't know. I knew nothing. All I knew was I was excited to learn something mm-hmm. new and and curious um and so so quickly i i was learning this kind of avenue um towards journalism but i really just found that the whole thing was so ridiculous to go to have swung from navy pilot um to writing from a closet and it's yeah. so ridiculous that it's funny. And, yeah. and you can't help but, like, for me, I couldn't help but laugh. Like, But it's on my way to my passion. So yeah. why wouldn't I just take, just say yes. Yeah. Just say yes to every opportunity in front of me and learn as much as I can. Because just because this isn't the genre that I'm particularly interested in, um, and it's not something I'm familiar with, doesn't mean that I can't really take so much out of that experience. Yeah. And, and so my, I, I think when people hear my story, they're just like, why, you know, why did you do that? Why are you doing that? Erin, um, you but- have such a beautiful, positive perspective. And I, I love how you are excited about things. You want to learn as much as possible. And I think that's really where it's at is, is progress. And I think as long as we're continuing to make progress towards anything, um, then, you know, that is fulfilling and it really doesn't matter what anything or anyone outside of us thinks it matters how we think of ourselves and the pride that we have 
for ourselves. And, and I, and I agree, it could be comical, you know, from this, this pilot to uh, a comic writer, right. And think about my position, police officer to talk show host. I mean, it is an interesting transition, but I, again, it's that progress into things and this excitement for, for learning more. Yeah, absolutely. Um, can I ask you actually, what was the hardest part for you transitioning from what and even leaving that more physical side of things mm. and moving into the podcast? Oh, well, it took a long time, Aaron, and it has been a transition that took many years. When I first left law enforcement, um, I had stayed learning about the field, educating, coaching, training consistently, just expecting that that was my path. But the doors kept shutting. And so I realized that this maybe isn't for me. And so I started branching out and looking into different avenues and different possibilities. And so when I went to work for FedEx Express, I became a swing driver, uh, a swing shift driver. I'm not even saying that right. A courier and a driver. And so it was one of the most difficult positions that I have ever did. And I would say hands down more challenging than law enforcement ever was in any of my training. And wow. you are titled an industrial athlete for a reason. So it was definitely one of those things. And uh, also being a, a single parent of three daughters. And so there was a lot put on my shoulders. And I just really threw out all of it, having an autoimmune disease and really trying to keep up with my health and learning more about that. Once I stepped into entrepreneurship, it it gave me a, a light to know exactly what I wanted to do. And it was going to be in the health and wellness arena because mm -hmm. I had really been doing that my whole life. Mm -hmm. And through law enforcement, I realized that I can't always change everything. You go into a field like that because you want to help people. You have this service mentality and attitude and not everybody wanted the help. You would provide all sorts of resources to people, but yet they would continue going back into that loop and realizing you can't change other people, but being able to push out information, positive information, stories like yours is where it's at. And I became very passionate about that. Yeah, I think that um, I also have a million more questions for you, but <laughs> I understand that I am your guest. Um, but I, I think that that sort of trends for me why why journalism because mm. i i just felt that i was sitting in these rooms you know at, at my last position in the navy i served in south korea on an admiral staff and um i was a protocol officer so you host high-ranking officials um that are traveling to korea for maintaining the alliance and um, and so I, there were many times I was in a room, um, full of embassy men who were briefing admirals and 
I would look around and I was the only woman and I was a lowly mm. lieutenant and I had no voice in this room. And these men were all speaking the same way, sharing statistics that come from a page um, rather than because we're talking about an alliance and and the, you're sharing statistics of you know, an entire, um, like 50% of the population, an entire sex that you you don't quite understand. And every single person in this room looks the same and may have had a similar experience while living in South Korea. So are we really, you know, giving the best guidance to these admirals on, on the culture in, in an ally country and and maybe having a more diverse room, having different perspectives would contribute to that conversation and and make us better. And um, I just kind of felt that it was very, very important for a woman and women, multiple, uh, to be in that room contributing to the conversation and mm. so obviously I am not sitting in that room, but for me, a path to really hopefully help that situation and, and others like it in many other fields is to use the power of a pen um, yeah. and to hopefully help navigate how we can better use 50% of our population because we are not going back in time to a different way of life we are only moving forward and it is very clear that women will be in the workforce and it will only be improved um, for women, especially in these specific fields uh, when there are, are more women. Yeah. Well, you know, women just bring a totally different aspect. I, I did very, very well in the position I was in with law enforcement because you know, it, it was almost like this motherly approach where people wanted to um, tell you everything. And so it was very, it, it worked out quite well, right? I was able to gather a lot of information more so than my male uh, counterparts. So I want to bring in a couple of the questions here that are coming in through the comments. But I also do want to highlight, Erin, yes, the, you're talking about a pen journalism and, you know, being a talk show host. The beautiful thing about that is getting a very strong and clear, positive message out there. We live in such a day and age to where we are able to push everything out globally. And so the amount of exposure is just impressive. And so let me bring in a couple of the comments. Shelby Schultz says, I love that she is continuing to pursue and push women's boundaries. As her equipment manager at Navy, I did everything I could to get them the best and newest gear possible. Our lives were never the same after we learned our 21-year-old daughter, Kristen, was murdered by her ex-boyfriend. It's a parent's worst nightmare. How much did we really know about domestic violence back then? clearly not enough. Now we know plenty. We know domestic violence, or DV, can happen to anyone. One in three women suffer physical violence 
hit the hands of intimate partners during their lifetimes. One in three. I'm Bill Mitchell, host of the When Dating Hurts podcast. And my interviews with DV counselors, law enforcement, and especially actual DV survivors give the pandemic of domestic violence the attention it deserves. The When Dating Hurts podcast. It's a series of lives being saved. Thank you, Shelby. Uh, I would say I still wear that gear, but he ensured that it was um, tightly packaged so that I could hang it on my wall um, as memorabilia, which I really appreciate. Um, but, <laughs> but even that, you know, that brings in a good point. Just even Shelby participating, he, you know, represents the other 50% and that need mm. to be a part of the conversation. Because this can't be, um, can't be women talking to women. Um, it needs to. We're talking about equality here. Yeah, and yeah. How I agree, hundred percent. You no know, equality is is everyone. Um, so yeah, yeah, yeah. And, and again, bringing different. I, I mean, beautiful perspectives in both regards. So you have to have both. All right. So Drew says, Aaron going from interviewee to interviewer seamlessly like the pro that she is. <laughs> um, so Drew is a squadron mate of mine and a good friend. And he, he probably deserves some credit because that photo um, that you use is Drew's own personal work. Um, so like myself, he really represents kind of, you know, being able to feel like a creative person in a in a realm that that doesn't really welcome that. Um, and and he is excellent at um, just being that at, at just promoting, hey, I am artistic and I'm capable of also being this badass pilot. Um, but I love photography and that, and that's important. It matters that people can express themselves. This is a gorgeous photo. Yeah. All Drew Cusick. Awesome. Thank you, Drew. We appreciate it. And I enjoyed making it into the flyer for the show. So that is awesome. Thank you so much. Um, and then Manley has a, a comment. He says, sounds like a real superhero story. Clark Kent, Peter Parker, their day job is in journalism. Is this implying that I write a comic book? Um, <laughs> I, <laughs> no, I, yeah, I think, um, I think that, and also the beauty of, of comic books though, is that the main characters are always flawed. That mm -hmm. is why it is so popular. And I didn't quite understand that um, before working at Comic Book Curious because I thought, oh, a superhero is this shiny, um, perfect thing. And, and that's not why uh, people love comic books. They love it because they can see themselves in it because there yeah. are flaws within each character. Yeah, I love that 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 is 
That is very true. I'm I'm glad that you highlight that because it is true. Those characters are flawed in so many ways, but I think that's why we're attracted to it, right? Because yeah. otherwise it would just be like, you know, okay, so what? But when we are able to have that bit of the story where we can relate to it and where we feel more empowered by their journey uh, to make our journey more insightful, I think that's really where the beauty of it is. Yeah, absolutely. And it, and it goes back to kind of me seeing that female representation and, and it's seeing, you know, someone who looks like you represented in a, in a field or in, in any space um, that you might be interested in pursuing, there is a lot of power behind that. Yeah. So I'm going to bring in a couple of the photos that you gave me. And I wanted to start with this one and I'm going to go back to the other one, but I, I just really like this photo. Can you tell us a little bit about it? Um, first off, I, Jira Cusick, thank you very much for being <laughs> my personal photographer. Um, but this photo was taken in San Diego and uh, with the mighty HSM 75 Wolfpack. Um, that was the squadron that I flew with there um, and uh, flying image 60 Romeos, which is uh, in the Navy, the Seahawk, in the Army, a Blackhawk. Um, and I, uh, yeah, I think that that was kind of my first real experience it was the finally to the fleet and going on actual deployments and um in that squadron there are there were about 40 pilots and there were any time four to five women and that was actually a, a high percentage of women in the squadron um and and so i, I don't know it was a, it was really my first time understanding that I had to kind of choose a path to be successful in a fraternity kind of world. And for me, I think it was much easier than many women because I was a, an athlete my whole life and um, basketball earns a lot of respect. Um, mm. I think it might be because men are not that good statistically across the board at basketball i don't know um but i also think that it's just a sport that um is popular for both men and women in general so that so being a jock was kind of my my path to being allowed in the boys club um but i had to really take a step back and kind of analyze that to understand that every woman was choosing a role in order to succeed, which takes energy and effort and um, is not quite it, it, as welcoming as, as uh, or as easy maybe say as, um, as it would have been showing up as a man. Yeah. And then tell, let's go into a little more detail with this photo sure um so 
I mean, walking out on the flight line. So where I was just at before in the previous photo is uh, right in the hangar. And then you walk straight out on the flight line um, there. But this is, you know, very typical to see, uh, I would say, this ratio um, or dynamic of, you know, because you also have your air crewmen who there's very, very few women who um, serve as a search and rescue swimmer and um, and they also mm -hmm. fly with you in the back. So what I really love about loved about helicopters and that community is having a team and and that's something that I understood. So that's really what this photo represents. But um, it it is not that surprising to me that maybe a female would be walking behind that's not always the case but um but definitely the fact that there there's just one is representative of the community yeah so tell me a little bit Erin about what does teammanship mean to you because you have really understood that at a very young age how did you incorporate that with your time there at the navy um, I, so just like everything else, I treated it all as basketball games. So, um, when I had flights, uh, with, you know, with my little team, um, or even on deployments, you, I was deployed on smaller ships. So you serve, um, on the deployment with about six or seven people, uh, from your squadron. So it's a really small small, tight-knit um, community. And and so for me, uh, there's a progression that you go through either um, kind of being the second pilot, the co-pilot, and a, a little more of a follower um, before you kind of take the reins as the aircraft commander. And, and then you're kind of the team captain, if you will. Um, and I just really like to incorporate humor to bring a team together. And that's definitely a skill that I learned at the Naval Academy um, playing basketball because yeah. there was a there was a joke that uh, the women's basketball team runs more than the track team. And there were plenty of practices where we didn't touch a ball. Um, and there, there were these track blasts um, outside in the summer. And basically, you really, you really thought I, I might die today. You know, I don't know that I'm going to make it and surely I'm going to throw up. And, and this is ridiculous <laughs> that we are all feeling this way and thinking this way. And um, so what, you know, what can we use in this moment to pull ourselves out of feeling like that? And mm. And for me, it was um, it was just all about humor. So um, I think maybe a great example of that would be uh, we had a very intense championship game and we were down by 12 at halftime and we only scored 18 points. That is a big deal, April. Only 18 points. This is okay. <laughs> I hold on to this moment. And um and I just knew like something more needed to happen. 
um, to get us out of the situation. And I just stood up into the center of the room and started yelling. Um, I already packed my dancing shoes because if we win this game, we go to the NCAA and that <laughs> is the big dance. And I love dancing. So I just kept saying to my teammates, you know, I packed my dancing shoes. I love dancing. I'm not unpacking them. Yeah. And that is ridiculous. We could be sitting here talking about X's and O's and the normal things we talk about. But wait a second. This is funny and absurd. And this whole event, you know, is a pressure cooker situation. So what did, you know, let's just shift it. This is not all of that pressure on us. We just don't want Erin to unpack her dancing shoes. Yeah. Um, and it definitely shifts the state of being easily when you incorporate humor. Absolutely. I know that with with law enforcement, we had to incorporate a lot of humor in order just to get through some of the the, the tragic aspects of the oh, job. Man. So humor that most people probably wouldn't appreciate or understand. Yeah. But it is a way to really shift that state of being. So it's not like going into this detrimental, oh my gosh, we're not going to make it sort of thing. Yeah, absolutely. And and to your point of what you just said, that people might not understand or appreciate, that's kind of why I changed the story away from aviation to basketball, because many of the aviation stories uh, would fall under the same category um, that I could share. So I think those would be better suited, you know, at a bar over a beer. Right. <laughs> well, that is awesome. Thank you so much, Aaron, for sharing those. We're going to run into our, our sponsored commercial. And when we get back, I want to highlight a little bit more about more of the, the personal side of life. Stay tuned. Are you a practitioner or a coach listening to this? If so, I would love to ask you, do you use hypnotherapy in your practice working with clients? And if not, would you like to? The power of hypnotherapy is limitless. And so often we experience our clients struggling to reach their goals. It's because they're coming up against their own brick walls and getting stuck but you can help them through the power of hypnosis, break through all of that, working with their unconscious mind to put the suggestions in, to have them taking the action to achieve the results that they want. They are thrilled with your coaching techniques. They're getting the results they want. You feel amazing because you are helping your client get the results they want. It's a win-win. And another win is that it's an added revenue stream for you in your business. So if you like the feel of helping your clients get the results they want, if you like the sound of that, then definitely reach out Melissa at yourguidedhealthjourney.com or click the link tree link below for my unlimited power of hypnosis class to learn more. 
It's a weekend designation program that I teach, valid in 42 countries. You write an exam after taking the experiential course, and you can be admitted to the American Board of Hypnotherapy and start using hypnotherapy one-to-one with your clients and have them achieving the results they want. All right. Hypnotherapy, a fun tool you can put into the tool belt. And so want to make sure that everybody knows that's in the description below. Now back to you, Aaron, I'm excited to share a little bit more about the personal journey. And I also would love for you to highlight during our time a little bit about that Pat Tillman scholar and what that is and what that means to you. Um, yeah, I would love to. Um, so the Pat Tillman foundation was founded in 2004. Um, and it was founded by Pat Tillman's friends and family. And, uh, to this day, they have now contributed, um, to 850 scholarships for military veterans and military spouses, um, who are interested in pursuing education. So really about this shift, because for Pat Tillman, um, he went from the NFL, you know, seeing 9-11 and making a choice to kind of, um, to just say what I'm doing is not fully service and I could be doing mm-hmm. more in a different way and not being afraid to step outside that space um, and pursue a totally different, I mean, he was on, um, you know, such a big stage. So to make that shift was incredibly powerful and gained a lot of attention. Um, And so the foundation is all about supporting veterans and military spouses in their journey um, to seek education and to continue learning and, and, um, and maybe even to learn something new. But you have to really highlight yourself, right? In order to be accepted for that. Is that correct? That is incredibly correct. Um, I spent uh, more time on the Pat Tillman application process than any grad school process. Um, and rightfully so, because the the moment there, so every year there's a Pat Tillman Leadership Summit and um, this past year I attended, um, hosted in Chicago. And the moment you step into um, that room of these really incredible people who are so passionate about Mm. what they are doing and what they're going to do and how they're going to impact um, the world and, and they can articulate that so clearly. Um, you, I mean, I, I feel genuinely honored and a bit overwhelmed that I even get to uh, be a part of that. So it sounds to me, Aaron, like you definitely have some goals ahead. Um, I would say, yes, uh, I think that I think that step one for me is um, taking what I can from graduate school. So just like every other thing that I've done, you know, a slow and steady process and really enjoying the journey, but 
taking what I can and saying yes to every opportunity um, mm -hmm. is very important to me. And I think um, that we have been speaking about women in male-dominated fields, but the, but the overarching theme is just equality and what that means. And I think that we have made transitions, especially in the United States, that are trending in totally positive directions. I think there's a lot of unspoken um, kind of pains that women have to navigate. Mm. But that's only in the United States. Uh, when, when you really look at the broader scale of things and it, when you travel and engage with women in other countries, we are almost light years ahead in certain places. And, and so this is not a topic that is going to, you know, I'll write one great article and it will immediately affect change. But I think it's an important topic um, mm. to try to strive to write to men and women and actually have a collective here and and um, want to impact those areas. But so that's my ultimate long-term goal, if you will. Okay, I'm curious, Erin, what do you mean by equality? So you know, if we take men and women and, and we put them on the same playing field. Do you feel that everything should be equal or what are your, what are your viewpoints on that? Um, I, that's a great question because men and women are different <laughs> and, yeah. and we know that and we, and there are certain things in place and, and this could be um, a topic that I think could be argued for the ages of, you know, should things be altered for women to be able to fit into these fields? And we have to make all of these changes and sacrifices um, mm. to, in order to, especially in certain um, typically homogenous fields, we have to now bend over backwards is what it might start to feel like. Um, but for me, what I mean by equality is that we are collectively looking at this issue and taking responsibility um, for how women can be included because we already know that it is beneficial to have diversity and women are a huge part of having diversity. Um, and, and if we're concerned about women's health and, um, you know, women having babies, uh, I think that we should be thinking about those things as a team and that men and women should equally care about those benefits um, being not just available, but good <laughs> for women across the board. Uh, I want to bring in one of the comments because it, it just came in from Barbara. And, but I also want to highlight what you said. I think, Erin, you really said that beautifully, that when we come together and mastermind, brainstorm, work together, it 
it makes a lot more sense, right? Because it's not an exclusion in any regards, but it's just a thought process of how does each benefit in what ways in order to bring about the best in whatever given cir circumstance or situation that it is. So yeah. I'm going to bring in uh, Barbara's comment. And she said, great conversation, Aaron. In some ways, we have come so far since 1970, yet in some ways, some things have not changed. There is still a lot more work to do to create a truly inclusive, integrate uh, Navy team. I look forward to seeing how you continue to impact the world. Congratulations to you on the Pat Tillman Scholarship. Thank you very much, Barbara. Um, so Barbara is a total badass. <laughs> um, and she served in the Navy, uh, as well. And I randomly met her at a bar in Alaska, um, which could be, uh, you know, a story for uh, any day of the week in my life. Yeah. But, you, a bar in Alaska. That's a story. Yeah. Um, <laughs> but I, I actually really love this comment because I attended a, um, an air show when I was serving at the Wolfpack. And so we brought um, a Seahawk or Blackhawk to the air show. And I, for me, you know, I'm part of this team and it, and it's very normal to me to be in this world. And, and at the time I was an aircraft commander. So, um, so very much kind of led my aircraft, if you will. And, I was asked by uh, a random visitor, just where, and where do you sit in the aircraft? A uh, little lady, you know, um, and that took me back. And then uh, later in the day, a woman approached with her daughter and she put her daughter up to my face and said, look, you can really be whatever you want to be. Hmm. And that was in probably 2016. So wow. I did not know. I, you know, I was, when you're in the military or for you, the law enforcement, you're in this arena, you, you have really no essay on what the civilian side of things is like. And I just assumed that where I was, was more archaic. Um, but that was shocking and enlightening to me of just mm. how little we have come. The perspectives. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Uh, I want to bring in a comment from Allie. She says, way to go, Aaron. Immediately proud to call you a friend and a fellow Tillman scholar. Immensely, excuse me. Boy, I'm not reading these comments very well. Uh, yes. Um, Immensely proud. Yeah. So Ali, Ali would blow your mind um, with his story. And, uh, and this is a great, great example. I met Ali in July. We spoke one time. He is now writing onto this and, and participating. Ali, that, I apologize. I got your name incorrect too. Thank you, Aaron, for correcting oh, me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But that is like, that's the kind of community 
that the Tillman Scholarship fosters. And mm. um, and yeah, so I'm really proud to to be a part of it. Uh, it's beautiful. Thank you, everyone, for all your support. My gosh. Okay, cool. Aaron, let's bring in a couple of photos that you shared. This is more of the personal side of life. And what a cool photo. Now, I mean, I'm, I'm curious. Did anyone who took this photo? Because this is a beautiful photo. Um, I think I took that photo. Yeah. So thank you very much. Uh, I am uh, clearly working on my photography skills for journalism. Um, but this is in the Outer Banks. And, and this is, uh, so my husband and I's beloved Westie, which is kind of a sore subject at the moment because it doesn't run. But, um, but the, you know, the photo itself is great because what it represents to us is really freedom. And, and this transition from the military is, mm. is another angle of that. And, um, and so we, we, you know, we just want to live small so that we can live large in so many mm -hmm. other aspects. I love that. I love that. That is so cool. And this is, I mean, this is fancy. This is fancy. This was my home. Um, so I. This picture looks like it could be on the cover of a magazine or something. <laughs> you know, that the lug luxury outdoor living. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, uh. Yeah, I was about I when I went to be an instructor pilot, I moved to Florida and I was not excited. You know, I don't think anyone who moves from San Diego is excited to move anywhere because San Diego <laughs> is paradise. But yeah, um, yeah. right. Uh, but I, I had I wanted that job. And so I moved um, to Florida and I was looking forward to purchasing a real home. And I started to realize I am just going to fill this space with more things. And yeah. that is the last thing I want. And oh my gosh, if I have a yard, I'll have to like spend time actually taking care of it. And that's also <laughs> the last thing that I want. So, um, so I purchased an Airstream, and this picture is actually taken in Alex's backyard. He claimed um, at the time that he always dreamt of having a trailer park in his backyard, but conveniently, he only put one post um, for one trailer. So, so he was my landlord for a little bit, which is how every great love story begins, I think. Yeah. Yes. Alex is your partner. And I, what I want to say about this is I think you talked about this transition that you had where you relocated from a place that you absolutely loved your, your heavenly space in San Diego, which mm -hmm. I, I couldn't agree with you more. Um, I would love to be there, <laughs> get there. And, you know, you went to a place where it, it wasn't as great to you, but what I want to highlight about that is making 
transition, sometimes we have to have sacrifices in order to get to the places that we want. You said, I wanted that job. Yeah. And, and I think perspective is a big piece of that because, um, you, you can make almost any situation your own and, and the best case scenario for you. Um, and, and so that's really what I have tried to do and just kind of think outside the box of how can I be the happiest in, in this new area. And when you're in the military, mm. you have to move every three years. So yeah. you don't have a choice but to either have you know, a really positive attitude that you can laugh at at wherever you go and um and the challenges that lie ahead or you could be a debbie downer about it but that's not going to get you anything but those same orders to the same location so um it's kind of just the path that that you choose um to find happiness perspective is definitely key now tell us a little bit about this photo yeah, so recently, because, so this is my husband, Alex, and we uh, we taught ourselves how to sail uh, when we were in Pensacola, and we purchased a bigger sailboat. It's what I'm on right now. Um, and we sailed, we bought it in San Diego, but obviously Stanford is, is located in the bay, so we sailed from San Diego to um, to the Bay, and it was quite the adventure, I would say. We, um, <laughs> I, I think that Alex actually answered a question really beautifully that was asked of us. Just it, was this above the level that you expected it to be? Was it too much, um, or did you feel really confident? And he said, I was really confident in us, but not confident in our sailing abilities. Um, <laughs> and, yeah. and I think that just goes back to that all of the experiences that we've had, um, both being pilots and, and all of the Navy experiences, we, you know, we've built a lot of confidence to try new things um, and we kind of know how to maybe put some safeguards into play and and navigate these newer areas. But um, I would never recommend this sale to, to anyone who didn't, doesn't have a background in something pretty intense. Oh, that's a great way to put that. I like that. Yeah. 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 So it really takes quite the the person and the personality and somebody who really pushes themselves in a lot of different ways mentally physically being able to to go through that sort of living yeah i think that the pictures make um make you know van life and airstream life and sailing life look beautiful and picturesque and it's perfect and you have no worries whatsoever um but that is far from true there are so there's so much energy put into 
getting those mm -hmm. little moments um, of pure beauty in nature. And, and it's just because it's what we love and the, the lifestyle that we want to live. Um, and because those moments are worth it to us, but right. there's a lot of struggle that goes into the journey as well. Well, I'm sure that it definitely makes you have more appreciation for the better times. So Aaron, thank you so much for sharing all of your stories, your journey. And let's talk a little bit real quick about where people can find you, what you're doing now. I have posted on the screen um, a website that you can check out. And also you can find it in the description below, all of the ways to, to find Erin and to see her. Um, do you want to shed a little bit of light on this? Um, well, sure. Well, first I'd like to say you can find me located at a marina in Redwood City, California. <laughs> Please come by for a spritz at sunset. Um, and, and as well, so this website is kind of my personal, um, personal travel articles. And um, I hope to contribute much more to this through my process at Stanford. Um, and, and you can also find me on Comic Book Curious um, and read those articles as well and kind of take a deep dive into the comic nerd world because I think it's definitely worth it. Um, but from here on out, I really hope that through grad school and all of the resources that I have available through the Pat Tillman Foundation at Stanford, that I will be able to publish um, on kind of a, a bigger scale and yeah. be able to contribute those uh, back to my personal site. Yeah, absolutely. And that that's really exciting. I mean, incredible opportunities that lie ahead because you are saying yes and being able to branch out that information so much further. Here's another comment that came in from Cassie. She says, such an important topic of discussion and loved hearing more about Erin's fascinating journey post Navy. So proud to know her and truly a woman with the sky is the limit. Thanks, Cassie. Um, Cassie is a teammate from college, and and um, so she knows all of the struggles and has a, a similar toolkit at her uh, will. But um, I, yeah, I really and I really hope that what I want to say and the future interviews that I have with women and men are. Um, contributing positively to the message and and shedding light that other people also appreciate, especially um, the women who also serve. Oh, thank you so much, Erin, for being here on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Is there anything else that you want to share with the audience today? Um, no, I think you should just say yes to life and living and well, maybe one thing, just um, you can easily travel. <laughs> so travel, travel is very easy. We are in 2023 and your phone 
it's so amazing. Your phone can go and purchase you a ticket and then you can walk onto the plane and you can be somewhere else. And I'm not saying that where you are right now isn't the perfect place, but making yourself uncomfortable and forcing yourself to experience new people and a new way of life um, is probably the healthiest thing, in my opinion, that you could do. That is a beautiful message to expand yourself, expose yourself to new sights, new experiences. Incredible message. Thank you so much, Erin, for being a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. We truly appreciate you being here and sharing your stories and your journey. So excited to see what is next for you and to have more stories to come. So Thank you again, Erin, for being a guest on the Wellness Driven Life Show. Thank you so much for those of you who have tuned in. Excited to hear more comments from those who are tuning in later on. And I would like to say goodbye for now. We will see you later.